With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Fenway Rundown, the premier podcast for all things Boston Red Sox. You know, people harp on the last place thing, but essentially what's important is the record. If the Red Sox want people to start thinking the ownership cares, then maybe they should talk. This is the Fenway Rundown, brought to you by Mass Live. Here are your hosts, Chris Cotillo and Sean McAdam. It's a new week, which means it's time for a new Fenway Rundown podcast, Mass Live Red Sox show. Chris Cotillo here. Sean McAdam is also here, not physically, but on Zoom, because that's how we record things in the year of our Lord, 2024. Uh, we are doing a mailbag episode today. We have enjoyed doing these the last few weeks. And, of course, these questions do not come from Twitter anymore. They come from our insider text program, which if you've listened to the show the last couple months, you know how to sign up, but Sean will remind you anyway. We don't need no stinking Elon Musk is our battle cry today. We have everything from the Red Sox Insider text, as Chris mentioned, and you too can be part of that community, have access to us, that is Chris and myself, along with Chris Smith, our colleague. You can text us questions and comments and trade suggestions and free agent recommendations, whatever's on your mind when it comes to baseball, and we will respond to your phone your tablet, your laptop, and it's a lot of fun. All you have to do is text the word JOIN to 617-751-6257 and then click on the link to subscribe. You get a 14-day introductory free period, and after that, it is $4.99 per month. So we have about 40 questions from people who sent in questions. Uh, we you know, prompt the insider text subscribers. They respond with their questions, and we do get back to them. We can't see everything on Twitter, but we do see everything on the program. So as Sean said, a good way to interact with us and get your questions answered, especially in this format, which we've done and I think we enjoy. Uh, for the sake of sanity, um, I'm going to combine some questions. Obviously, there's some overlap. Try to cite everybody who asked them, but... Uh, that can be impossible when we have 40 of them coming in in about 20 minutes. So, Sean, we will start with this. Uh, some reporting I had yesterday and something that a lot of people are asking about. The Shota Imanaga sweepstakes coming to an end this week on Thursday. Just to kind of peel back the curtain, um, he is his deadline is to sign Thursday. There are multiple teams involved. The Red Sox have been one of them. As of yesterday, I decided to start texting around and seeing – do the Red Sox really have a shot here? The first thing I heard was they're not being serious with him. The second thing I heard was this is a long shot to happen. Of course, deadlines force action. There is, of course, always a chance the Red Sox up their offer or get 
more on an even playing field with him before Thursday. We've seen some conflicting reports today about the Giants, the Angels, the Cubs, whatever it is. Um, you know, when when something's about to happen, though, there's a lot of rumors flying. From what we've heard, the Red Sox, at least as of the weekend and as of yesterday, had not been super aggressive. Just from a few people, uh, a few people asking about Imanaga, just your read on the situation, is it just another one of these situations where the Red Sox are in but get outbid? And, and then what do you think of the player? Yeah, well, on the first, it certainly seems as if the Red Sox level of interest is uh, at best moderate. Uh, I think they've checked in. I think they have signaled some interest, but how far they're willing to go and whether they're willing to go dollar for dollar with uh, a number of the other teams that have been lined up as more serious suitors, shall we say, like the San Francisco Giants, most obviously. Uh, there are anywhere from four to five teams apparently in on Imanaga. Um, from all I can gather, and I talked to a scout who saw both Yamamoto and Imanaga and gave me a detailed scouting report a month or so ago. Uh, he profiles as kind of a back-end guy, um, and there's some value there to that. You know, you you have to have somebody fill out your rotation, but if you're looking for a guy that's really going to impact the top half of the rotation, I'm not sure that Imanaga fits that profile. Um he is older than Yamamoto. We've made great mention of Yamamoto's uh, relative youth at 25 being so rare for a top-notch free agent starter in this age. Imanaga is already 30. Um, and while he might be a uh, a nice depth option for a lot of teams, the Red Sox included, to me, he's not going to move the needle tremendously. So I would expect that the Red Sox will continue to try to fill their pitching needs via trade avenues rather than free agency. We'll get to that in a second. There are a couple questions about free agents that have come in from Thomas McCready. I saw Heyman say we're fully in on Imanaga, but if we miss out, is Jordan Montgomery back to being an option by default? Uh, and also some mention of trades. And Tom Ritchie saying Alex Spear said yesterday the Red Sox are unlikely to sign James Paxton. Could this be about dollars? Is it term? What is it there? Um, well, it, it wouldn't seem to be about dollars or term with Paxton mm -hmm. because he's not in a position to demand a whole lot given how little he's pitched over the last four years. And he did pitch well to give him credit for the first half of last season before seemingly hitting a wall around the all-star break and watching his performance nosedive uh, in August to the point where he got shut down in September. Um, so Paxton's not in a position, even in a pitching-starved marketplace, to demand any sort of length or really big numbers. It would have to be incentive-laden with perhaps an option that could be vested. Um, I, if they're not in on Paxton, I would say it's not because of money. I would say that is the factor when it comes to both Montgomery and Sm Snell, both of whom are represented by the Scott Boris Corporation and neither of whom seem to be guys that the Red Sox want to go the limit on in terms of a nine-figure salary. And in Snell's case, perhaps as much as $200 million. Yeah, Ken Rosenthal said something similar the other day. And 
Um, just he doesn't see them in on that market. It seems like the Yankees are starting to poke around on those two guys, which is always dangerous. I don't think the Dodgers possibly could add either of them, but you know there are teams. You know the Angels, I think, have been linked to Snell. Um, you know the Mariners, I know, shook up their rotation with the Robbie Ray move. They're a team that has always been talked about with him because he's from there and could want to go there. So you know there are still top free agent pitchers available. I think the Amanaga sweepstakes this week coming to an end will uh, kind of give some clarity on that. A lot of questions as we continue talking about pitching on the trade market we've talked about and people have reported that the Red Sox seem more focused on trying to get a controllable pitcher via trade. We've talked about the names time and time again with Seattle, those long shots and Kirby and Gilbert and Wu and Miller in Miami with Lazardo and Cabrera and some other pieces um, from Noah Powell. Cotillo tweeted he felt it was most likely they made the splash trading for somebody like Lozardo. Is there any chance they'd go after somebody like Freddie Peralta, Bryce Miller, J.P. Sears? The question really in, you know, are, could they go for somebody a little lesser than Lozardo to, to help the prospect haul? And I think the answer is probably yes. You know, they're going to look for a starter, um, you know, and they are, they're still looking for a starter. They have pieces to move. And if the price is for somebody at the top of the market, whether it be Lazardo or Gilbert, Kirby, whoever it is, uh, are exorbitant, then I could see them trying to you know, pay a smaller price and get you know, that number three, number four guy you might not have heard of. Yeah, and you know, I spoke to somebody with strong National League ties who told me last week that it <clears throat> excuse me, was his impression that the Marlins were getting quote, cold feet when it came to moving Lazardo, whether that means that they're emphasizing or prioritizing Cabrera or uh, some other young controllable starters on that staff remains to be seen. But it sounds as if the Marlins may try to hold on to Lazardo. As we know, uh, they've gone through a bit of a, res- a regime regime change there with Kim Ang leaving and Peter Bendix coming in from the Rays. So don't know if philosophically things have changed, but it seemed to be that they were leaning against moving Lazardo. He'd be a lefty and somebody that the Red Sox would certainly welcome, regardless of, you know, we obviously we don't know asking price there, uh, but it certainly seems like the Red Sox are open to try to fill their pitching need uh, via trade. Uh, there's even been some renewed talk about them, perhaps being in on Dylan Cease, which would run counter to what we heard earlier in the Mm offseason, that obtaining a guy with only a year left of uh, control, as is the case with Cease, I'm sorry, two with him, um, you you do have others on the market who are closer to free agency, like Bieber uh, and uh, a couple of others out there. Right. Cease at least gives you two years of control. Um, So maybe there's been a bit of a shift in the thinking there, but um, a lot of trade talk. And maybe just as we've said that a lot of free agent signings were waiting for Yamamoto, uh, that that did not happen. You know, Yamamoto has been signed for a couple of weeks, and we thought that was going to break the dam when it came to free agent pitching. It hasn't happened. You still have the top two names out there in Snell and Montgomery to say nothing of Imanaga. He does have a bit of a calendar that he's got to observe. The posting process ends, as you noted on Thursday, 
but Snell and Montgomery could be up for auction well into mid-February. It's not without precedent now for big-name free agents to not sign before teams report to camp. So we'll see how that impacts the trade market. Related from David Barrasso, post Yamamoto, is it possible that minus the Dodgers, teams have decided the asking prices for the rest of these guys is just too high? If so, does that open the door for Snell or Montgomery to take a pillow contract? This is something I wrote a few weeks ago, and I think I mentioned on here, I had one executive say, you know, Blake Snell, because of the lack of durability issues and kind of the ups and downs to his career, could look to cash in on a short-term high AAV deal with an opt-out. The comp was like that Carlos Correa deal from a couple of years ago with the Twins, where you know effectively he gets what three years for a hundred, let's say, with an opt out after the first, makes a ton of money this year, tries to hit the market in a year in search of that longer deal, like Correa did, or we've seen some of these guys do. That I think is an option where it's not going to be your classic pillow. I think Teoscar Hernandez kind of got one there with one year for twenty three and a half, but. You know, these pillow deals now have those opt-outs serving, you know, that purpose. We saw it a little bit differently here with Giolito. I think that's possible for Snell. Montgomery, it feels like, you know, he's Remember, too, that as you noted the Correa deal, he, too, is represented by Boris. Yep. uh, As are both Snell and Montgomery. So the precedent has been set by that agency. And a similar question from Joseph Higgins, as we just touched on, what's the holdup on trading or signing for a top of the rotation starter? Is the asking price too much or are they unwilling to pay market value? My read is it's a little bit of both. The price is still super high. uh, And the Red Sox, as we've talked about, you know, seem to have some financial restrictions that they've self-imposed, or at least that's what they've expressed to the people they're talking to. Um, I still think that, you know, come hell or high water, they're going to add another starter here at some point. Yeah, we we certainly expect expect that, uh, but it could well be that the free agent market, in addition to slowing down the trade market, uh, maybe teams that uh, have tradable assets like Cease, like Bieber, uh, like Burns, are waiting for Snell and Montgomery to come off the free agent market. So teams that have been left standing as the musical musical chair game unfolds. Um, might be pressured into overpaying and providing more young talent for those guys with not a lot of serve uh, w- with not a lot of control remaining. Um, if so, the Red Sox are going to go from perhaps not wanting to pay the going rate as a free agent in terms of contract to being forced to give up more in return from their prospect collection in order to get one of those guys in a trade. These kind of questions are are a little bit related, so we'll touch them both at the same time on the trade market from Scott Pratt with the talk about the Red Sox doing a trade to obtain a starting pitcher. Which one of the top four prospects, which, uh, you know, the big three obviously being uh, Meyer, Anthony, and Teal. I think we're throwing Sadan Raphael into that mix. Would you be most upset for them to deal away? And another question from J.M. Wilson. How about this? What value would an impartial observer say somebody like Keith Law assigned to each of our young tradable outfielders? He has Duran, Abreu, and Rafaela mixed in there. Uh, I'll throw, obviously, Anthony in the mix, too, because he is uh, obviously you know going to be there in the next couple of years. For the first question, I would say, and we've talked about this before, I think Teal feels like the most untouchable of the group just because, as we've discussed, it's so hard to replace that, you know, franchise catcher type in your system they have other outfielders they have other infielders they have more than ever now with Von Grissom in the system but Kyle Teal is just such a rarity in the game I know you've agreed on that in the past that you know he's the guy you probably look at as maybe most untouchable and hard to see move 
as for the other question, I think, you know, those three guys, especially are, are include, you know, Anthony's probably in a different category, but those three guys you mentioned in different categories where, you know, Duran, you have the ups and downs of a long major league track record with Rafaela, probably more upside than anyone in the group, the tools, the defense, all that. And Abreu, a guy I could see them selling high on after, you know, a pretty good September. Um, I would rank them probably in terms of how much teams are interested as Rafaela, Abreu, Duran, but the the final two being close. How would you look at that? Yeah, I, I might flip two and three. I would say Rafaela ranks first among that trio, um, but because uh, of his plus plus speed, I might put Duran ahead of Abreu. Um, in no small part because he's at least had more major league time. Um, some of that has not um, been quality playing time. We know how much he struggled in 21 and 22 before finally breaking out in 23 and then, of course, missing the final month with an injury. Uh, but I think Duran has demonstrated uh, you know, more ability at the big league level than Abreu has at this time, and I think maybe his ceiling is a little higher. Uh, Abreu's probably a better defender, um, maybe looked upon as a more talented all-around guy who's going to provide you with a little more power than Duran is. I just think that plus speed sticks out a little bit for teams. Three questions here that all kind of say the same thing from Michael. Do you think the Kenley Jansen trade talk is more about Andrew Bailey and Craig Breslow believing they have the right arms to get the final three to six outs and that there's a better way to allocate that money? I have a hard time believing they would tell a free agent they need to get money off the books before signing them. The optics are terrible. Counterpoint in the optics, they didn't release that publicly. They told a free agent, the free agent told us. So uh, the Red Sox weren't necessarily advertising this. I'm sure they're not thrilled about it getting out, but it's what happened, so we have no choice there. From Jeff, what would you expect the target package to be if the Red Sox do trade Kenley Jansen and establish major leaguer or prospects to ensure full savings on the salary? And from William, William Taylor, could part of the desire to shed payroll have anything to do with the possibility of taking on a bad or larger contract to lessen the prospect price for the mythical controllable starter uh, and giving the, the option of, you know, maybe taking on like Avisil Garcia with Lazardo, something like that. I would say in terms of the Jansen trade, and I've said it before, there can be two kind of dueling narratives here with this where number one, they should not be looking to shed payroll because they're a big market team and it's embarrassing if to be in that position with where their finances are right now. But number two, that does make sense as a baseball move because of the guys they have, whether it be Martin, Houck, Whitlock, Schreiber, Winkowski, some of these guys we've talked about. Like Kenley Jansen is a luxury, as you pointed out, for a team that is not a ready-made World Series contender. They probably feel like it just makes some sense where we don't necessarily need them 100%. And there's a chance we could move on. Um, I do think that there is probably, you know, they're more likely than not to get prospects than a major leaguer, just because that seems to be the type of deal they're going to want to do, especially if money is is taken off in the process. Yeah, I I think that they would get a good but not great prospect for Kenley Jansen. You're not going to get a top five prospect from a team, meaning a team's top five prospect but it could be somebody that could contribute and possibly be, uh, you know, a depth option on a major league roster. We are talking about a 35, 36 year old guy who has only a year of control left. And he may be, uh, you know, look, if, if there's 
Uh, Kansas City did very well for itself in trading Chapman to the Texas Rangers, and that came ahead of the deadline. I think that deal got done in June because the Rangers yep. were, were bleeding themselves dry in the back end and didn't have a reliable closer. As it turned out, Chapman didn't turn out to be that guy either. But Kansas City got a pretty decent starting pitcher out of that, um, and I would rather certainly have Jansen than Araldus Chapman. So maybe it surprises us what they get in return, but I think a realistic expectation is a good, not elite prospect, or um, you know, a fringy, younger, unproven major leaguer. These are all kind of in the same bucket from Joseph Gleason. Maxwell Grant and Daniel really about the DH situation from Daniel Jorge Soler seems exciting as a bat crushing it over the monster. How does he fit in as a defensive option? Would he really just be the DH Maxwell asking who would you rather have at DH going into the season? Yoshida Soler Turner JD Martinez even and Joseph talking about Adam Duvall. Are they entertaining the idea of re-signing him? If he stays healthy, he'd be an excellent addition in the field in a couple of places. So let's kind of break this down. Talk about Jorge Soler a little bit. And the news broke the other night that Teoscar Hernandez was going to the Dodgers. There was immediately a report that the Red Sox are talking to Jorge Soler, that he makes some sense. We've seen them link there a couple times. Um, different players, uh, and obviously Soler brings huge power, right-handed swing at Fenway. He would give them the right-handed power they need. He would, it seems, give them a full-time DH, which is something that Craig Breslow has said they don't want to do. Outfield-wise, he's not very good. Not as good as a lot of the pieces on the roster. Almost impossible to see him playing right field at Fenway Park. You can't possibly put out an outfield that has Soler in right field, Yoshida in left, in my mind. Um, you know, Duran in center, whatever. They're, they're going to focus on trying to get better defensively. Uh, O'Neal was kind of made to that end. Soler doesn't fit. Um, just your thoughts on the Soler fit, I guess, to start. Yeah, I don't think it's a great fit, as you hinted at. Uh, because of his defensive limitations. I think he'd be be an upgrade over Yoshida in left field, but you or I might be an upgrade over Yoshida in left field, even with your recent surgery. Yeah. Um, I, I have no doubt that your sprint time is going to... Uh, is going to eclipse that of the infamous video of you beating out an infield hit at Fenway a couple of years ago. Of course. Um, I was out, by the way. Well, I'd like to see the replay. Uh, but Yoshida is uh, a well below average outfielder. Uh, I would guess that you would you would have evaluators saying that Soler is a slightly below average defender, not quite as bad as Yoshida, but hardly much of an upgrade. And so how does that fit? Uh, you know, you could platoon them um, or alter. It's a very, very expensive platoon. Yeah. And and. Uh, and frankly, that doesn't, uh, you know, address some of the issues that you said where they'd like to improve um, the defensive play in the outfield. He's a little better than Yoshida, but uh, not enough for it to, to realize a, a big upgrade. There, and going off the DH question, obviously Soler fits into that if they do sign him, which as of yesterday was not close. Again, these things are fluid. Have to caution and couch and all that good stuff. Um Duvall is a guy that I've said on every podcast since October, I think fits. He's not going to cost you much. He can play the outfield, no longer elite, probably your gold glove, but can play serviceably out there. Yeah. And, the I, pop- and I, I think he'd be fine in a corner. You just can't ask him to play center as they did at times last year. Right. Uh, I, I don't know that I'd want him in right a whole lot, but he certainly uh, could handle left field. He'd be worlds better than Yoshida out there. 
and a guy that we've talked about a billion times could possibly cycle in at first base, something he did early in his career. If the Red Sox re-sign him, have to wonder about that. I mean, the ideal thing for me, and you know, Breslow said this going back to the GM meetings, he wants to cycle guys through that DH spot. So to have somebody like Justin Turner or J.D. Martinez or Jorge Soler even in that spot brings them back to what they are actively trying to get away from. Maybe the market dictates that. I do want to throw out one more name. I saw a rumor that the Rays are willing to shop Harold Ramirez. Harold Ramirez is one of these guys that uh, has been with the Rays for a couple of years. And he's, you know, I always look at these kind of no-name pieces that always produce for the Rays. He's getting expensive down in Rays land, you know, four or five million uh, due in arbitration this year. Free agent after uh, next season. So two years of control gives you an option at first base, can play the outfield, a DH option, and hit 813 as or post an 813 OPS as a right-handed hitter. Division trades you always kind of wonder about, but Breslow did it with the Yankees. That's a guy on the trade market that I think fits the Red Sox in a lot of ways. Yeah, he does. Um, but usually, and you know, looking at where the Rays sit, you would think they would be after some young pitching, after trading away Glass now, mm-hmm. after the uh, five Tommy without, John surgeries their guys are having. Right, they've got McClanahan out for the whole year. They're gonna miss um, Springs and Rasmussen. Uh, uh, Rasmussen for at least the first half. Um, they did bring in Pepio in the trade that sent uh now and Margot to the Dodgers so they uh you know they they have they they made the trade for Savali last year they've got Eflin so they have a decent rotation but you would think they'd be looking for young pitching and the Red Sox frankly don't have that to deal unless you're thinking about giving up somebody like Hauk or uh or Whitlock for uh you know frankly a platoonish type depth bat like Ramirez I I don't know that he's necessarily an everyday player he could be helpful and as you said has the ability to move around a little bit Um, I think he's even played some third base not that that's a big need here with with uh with Devers playing the vast majority of games over there Dahlbeck's the backup right now so maybe it is well that's true uh I it, it seems like uh particularly when you take into account the whole intra division thing. It's not the Rays don't play by the rules. If they think they're winning the trade by 1%, they'll make that deal a thousand times. Right. Uh, Breslow may well do the same, but it just doesn't seem like they're, they match up particularly well for a deal. Daryl DeGuay bringing up another name that we really haven't talked about much, but does fit in some ways. Reese Hoskins, uh, former Philly, pretty good free agent on the market. The Cubs have been linked to him. The Phillies, I think, have been linked to him in a reunion. Uh, just your thoughts on that fit being kind of a late winter ad for the Red Sox. I think it does make sense in some ways. Uh, I mean, he'd be a nice bat to add, but the question is, where do you play him? And again, yeah. if you're okay with an everyday or 130-game DH, then he makes some sense. But he is not a good outfielder, and he, in fact, hasn't played out there a whole lot in recent years. And I'm thinking that coming off a knee injury – and surgery that cost him all of last year, he's probably not eager to go out and run around and chase balls in the outfield a whole lot. If he wasn't very good before the surgery, he's not getting any better. If they had a need for a full-time first baseman or were willing to have someone eat up most of those DH at bats, he would make sense as presently constituted. Again, that doesn't seem like a good fit. 
Frank Prinsky and Pat Walsh both asking questions about the trade rumors involving Masataka Yoshida. For those who missed it, both uh, Alex Spear and the athletic duo of Ken Rosenthal and Jen McCaffrey the other day reporting that the Red Sox have taken calls on Masataka Yoshida, that they're willing to listen. You know, it's funny when I was writing about you know, we're trying to trade an outfielder and trying to trade an outfielder, all that type of stuff. I thought about, well, maybe I'll include Yoshida in this. And then I thought, well, I bet they'd actually love to, but he's not going to have any value. Um, again, this is a guy who you're basically, you know, he's earning four for 72 over the next four years. He showed how limited he is in his first year. Not saying he's a bad player. He's a good bit piece on a team that needs his skill set, which is bat to ball, getting on base, those types of things. And for times last year, especially early on, the Red Sox counted on him, and he was pretty good. He was good in July. He showed some flashes here and there. Um, but the value to me on the trade market, especially with that salary, is is not going to be great. So we'll get to the two questions we have uh, from Pat. Any concern if the Red Sox do move Masa after one year, they could do damage to their reputation with future Japanese players. Um, might, they might be a little nervous to join that team. Frank with a good point. One reason I'd like to see Yoshida go on a trade is that I feel he can't fulfill some basic needs the Red Sox have. Defense, uh, he's not a true DH because he doesn't have the home run power. He doesn't have the power that fits with a corner outfielder and a similar skill set to Duran. Yoshida's limitations are made more noticeable based on the rest of the roster, which I agree with. Um, any yeah. thoughts on either of those things? Well, I, I think, you know, you talked about the $72 million left over four years. Um, that doesn't include the posting fee that the Red Sox paid, and that's already sunken money. So mm -hmm. that can't be recouped. But you'd have to think to get anything of value back, they would have to take some of that money uh, and take it back to facilitate a trade. And at a time when they're trying to be cost conscious, where they're trying to reduce spending, um, I, I think they would rather maybe reexamine his trade market after 24 in the event that. Uh, the production's a little better. He makes some inroads defensively. He shows himself uh, to be more durable. This is a guy who needed a lot of time off last year. Yep. And I know that there are lots of adjustments that have to be made when you're coming over um, from Japan to the major leagues for the first time. But they made it sound like, you know, he he, he had taken a trip to the moon and you know, had to get adjusted to a whole new atmosphere and biosphere. Uh, there have been players from Japan. Uh, Hideki Matsui is famously one of them who played 155 games or more in almost every one of his first four or five seasons at about the same age as Yoshida. So this notion that he's got to have a day off after every road trip and he's not used to flying to different time zones, I thought too much was made of that. Now, and, and that was that was Yoshida never said that. Let's speak. Uh, Alex Cora said no, that but, every but, day, every day for the whole season, which was you know I think what you're talking about. Right, right. I, I'm, you're correct. It was it was the team's explanation for both his uh, inconsistent play and performance and the reason why he was held out of games because this was uh you know a, a big adjustment for him well if if that's the case it's unlikely to get any better as he gets into his early 30s and i think somebody made a good point about the fact that um you know uh, uh you you run the risk of potentially alienating uh uh 
other Japanese free agents down the road and the fact that he's hard to profile as a corner outfielder when not only is he subpar defensively, but he's not a run producer, which usually you expect out of your left or right fielders. Yeah, I think both fair things. I do think that in a perfect world, they'd, they'd be fine getting rid of him, especially because Breslow doesn't have part of his legacy tied to Yoshida like Bloom did. Uh, two related questions here from Irene Haley. Any ideas what's happening at Trevor Story's camp? Who is going? Any coaches attending? And one guy that is attending from Nathan Foxman. What do we see the role for Pablo Reyes being next year? Trevor Story, for those who don't know, is having a camp for young infielders in Dallas, I think this week or next. Alex Cora is going to be down there. And just it's something that Troy Tulowitzki did for Trevor Story and the young Rockies outfielders a few years ago. Um, and I, there's going to be a lot of guys, Casas, Von Grissom, a lot of these types of guys that are going down to work out as a group. I think the thing is the Red Sox are just prioritizing kind of group work and doing things together this offseason uh, in an effort to kind of get things going uh, a little earlier than spring training. I feel like Cora thought the competitiveness was lacking a little bit last year in that regard. Yeah, it, it, in addition to being sort of a defensive boot camp, it's also a team building exercise where you have a bunch of players on the roster getting together in January, spending time together, competing, learning, trying to get better. And I think it's also a good sign that Story is taking on that leadership mantle a little bit, at least so insofar as uh, his fellow infielders trying to pass on some of the things that he learned for as much criticism as we've had about story uh, offensively in his uh, injury plagued two years here. Uh, we saw what a difference maker he can be defensively over the final two months. Uh, the Red Sox certainly hope they get more from his bat this year. He's being paid enough that he should be more of an offensive uh, contributor but he certainly helped them a lot and changed their infield defense. And to the degree he's willing to share some of that uh, with some of the younger players who have far less experience at the big league level, including Vaughn Grissom, uh, I think that's a good sign. I think also you mentioned Core will be there. I believe Ramon Vasquez is also mm-hmm. um, one of the base coaches, uh, or, or rather the bench coach, um, will be there. So somebody who's worked with infielders in the past to work with uh, – the players along with story and Cora and to answer Nate answer Nathan's question about Pablo Reyes there's a part of it was you know any chance to stash him at triple a he's out of options so uh barring him clearing waivers or a surprising cut he's going to be on this team and look he was thrust into a bigger role than he should have been for a player of his caliber last year and he performed very well I think he had a couple of big moments Red Sox fans seem to like him I think that just shows you kind of how far the bar dropped last year at times where Pablo Reyes was the story of this team for a little while on a good team he is your utility guy who gives your shortstop or second baseman a rest and I think he'll or third base to- Yep, he'll continue to do that. I, you know, I, my roster projection last week was him and Emmanuel Valdez both making the team. They're backup options. Uh, the guys that you know, you know, that was a good move by Heim Bloom to get him from. I always say he got him from Triple A of the A's, which using uh, whatever property that is is really Double A because the A's were a Triple A team last year. Turned into a solid major leaguer, cheap, a piece. I don't think they should count on him for much because you know he's never been that guy. And even Alex Cora said. We don't envision him as an everyday player. And a quote that's gotten a lot of play for really no reason. From Harrison DeHay, Sean, I'll let you take this one. 
Any update on the WEI radio booth next year? I know the CEO declared bankruptcy this AM, praying that we don't lose somebody as gifted as Will Fleming. This has been something that's taken a lot on Twitter the last few days because EEI posted a job advertisement to call games alongside Joe Castiglione as if it was some BS fantasy camp thing and not someone's actual job they were advertising. Yeah, it's unfortunate, uh, as I wrote over the weekend, that Will Fleming's being treated this way. Uh, I think you and I and a lot of Red Sox fans regard him as a very talented broadcaster and one that the Red Sox and their flagship radio station and rights holder should be uh, striving to keep. Um, But it's our understanding that Will has been on a series of one-year deals and is looking for a little security And at least until now, as we understand it, EEI has been reluctant to provide that. And thus they are um, either as a negotiating tactic or an actual uh, plan B, they are looking outside now and entertaining other applicants. How that uh, plays itself out, we'll probably know over the next couple of weeks, but nothing definitive. We do know that Joe Castiglione, who is, of course, going to be uh, inducted in into the broadcast wing of the Uh, Baseball Hall of Fame this July, for which we are uh, very happy for Joe. He will be in the booth doing somewhere between 90 and 100 games. I think you'll see Sean McDonough playing a role there. I think you'll see Lou Merloni returning as kind of uh, either the partner of Will or somebody else when Joe isn't there. So a lot of that is pretty undefined right now. Yeah, for uh, it's it is unfortunate that it played out publicly and and whatever kind of um, move that they decided to make and you know obviously the job leaked on Twitter and all that stuff and and I think there's there's a lot at play there that will play out in the next couple of weeks. All right, Sean, this is a point in the podcast where we have like 15 questions left, and they all say the same thing. And to me, it speaks to just where Red Sox Nation is right now where the fan base is in terms of, you know, Alex Spear, I think, did a good job the other day writing that they're moving food around their plate. Giolito in, Sale out, O'Neill in, Verdugo out. They have not gone full throttle as we sit here on January 9th. There are free agents and trades left to be made, left to be had. But just listen to what the fans are saying here. From Brody Ofterhide, do you expect fan frustration to continue to boil over the season and reflect in terms of things like ticket sales and prices? From Charlie Weber, does the ownership group think this team just can't contend now, or are they preparing to sell? From Paul Dumont, I read this Red Sox are trying to move salary in order to take on more salary. How does that make sense when they're around $200 million under the luxury tax threshold? From Pete W., do you think this ownership group is preparing to sell the team, or is it a change in philosophy? From David Gablaskis, given the current economic conditions, is there a free agent pitcher left with a realistic chance of coming to Boston? From Ralph, uh, well, that one's not related, actually. <laughs> From Peter Tebow, did I do it? Did I get it right? No, Tebow. Tebow. Why is that so hard? Damn Think it. of the quarterback or the From guy Peter who thought Tebow. he was a quarterback. It seems like the Red Sox are prioritizing saving money over bringing in winning players and market making money over competition. From Doug Radcliffe, always one to mince words. Why does John Henry suck and not care about this team anymore? Sean Palmer, when was the last team, time an offseason developed as slowly as this one, and how hard does that make your job? From A.D. Ignatius, why should we not give up on this team for 2024 after yet another deflating offseason and trade deadline? From Barb Montagani, what are they doing to improve the Red Sox? Do they have a plan for countering the moves made by their division rivals? And from John McSheffrey, 
it's pathetic to be thinking and asking business questions instead of on the field questions. What is with the Red Sox business model as currently constructed? We took 40 well, questions let, let's today. Get to the, let, let's get to the easy part. Yeah. No, they are not intending to sell. Uh, that has been reiterated, restated, emphasized by a number of people. Tom Warner has addressed it, said there's absolutely no interest or plans to sell. John Henry, on the occasions, however few they may be, um, in an email exchange with me last February, uh, said, when have we, meaning Fenway Sports Group, ever sold anything? And uh, that part is true. Uh, they have bought, they have added to their portfolio with the Pittsburgh Penguins, with some golf investments, with stock car, NASCAR, soccer in the Premier League in Liverpool, but they have not spun anything off. So uh, if you're uh, looking at the reduced payroll as evidence that they are preparing to sell, and you want that outcome, I'm afraid I have some bad news for you. I do not see that on the horizon by any measure or metric. I just think the fact that we got 40 questions and 15 of them are in that tone says a lot to me. You know, yeah. do you, I, we're a week away from winter weekend. Again, I don't think there's going to be a town hall, though we haven't confirmed that. The Red Sox ownership, the management understand that that is the tenor of the fan discussion right now. You know, we see, and I've talked about it, people are pissed off at us for writing that they're not in on this guy or they're a long shot on this guy when it's just agents and GMs of other teams saying, hey, like, this is what how they're acting. This is what they're doing. Um, a lot yeah, of shooting the I messenger mean, it's frustrating there. if you're a fan, but we have officially entered shoot the messenger territory where people think we're trying to be controversial or go for clicks or any of that. Uh, we would rather have significant news to report on and analyze. But the fact of the matter is, is that they have been very cautious with their outlay of money and payroll. They are showing no signs that they're going to be anywhere close to the first CBT threshold. They are indeed telling people in, in the industry that they have to get rid of money before they can take any more. Those are the facts. How you want to interpret them may be up to you or... Uh, you know, you don't have to agree with our analysis, but that is what's going on. And that is reflected in the frustration that you feel from so many fans. Remember, too, that tickets for the first half of the season go on sale this Thursday. And while this is not 1982 and we will not be measuring the team's popularity by how many people are on Jersey Street on 10 o'clock Thursday morning, ticket sales don't work that way. Most of them are uh, virtual and digital and purchased online instead of lining up at the box office. But uh, I, I I would expect that there is going to be a commensurate drop of interest in ticket buying, particularly now. Now, maybe they make a big move or two, whether it's trade or free agent signing between now and uh, the report date on uh, whatever that is, February 12th or 13th, yep. that will spur ticket sales. But right now, as you and I can measure this, uh, the frustration level is off the charts and the interest in watching this team either via Nesson or in person has to be at an all, I won't say all time low, but a a low for the Henry Warner ownership era. And 
the expectation is that somebody from that group that definitely will not be John Henry, most likely will be Sam Kennedy or Craig Breslow. We'll take questions again at Winter Weekend next Friday in Springfield. We'll be there having that all covered, not just on the site, not just on the podcast, but Sean on our insider text program. Well, it's funny you mentioned that, Chris, because you have the ability, not you, you are already part of this little community that we have, but uh, our listeners to this podcast and anybody else who is a Red Sox fan or has an interest in baseball can join the Insider Text program. All you have to do is text the word join to 617-751-6257. That comes with a 14-day uh, trial period where you can check it out where you can send texts and questions to me to chris Cotillo, to chris smith where you can keep up to date year-round preseason regular season postseason and off-season on all things red sox after that it's a 4.99 per month charge that is the fenway rundown mailbag edition for today We'll have Red Sox pitching coach Andrew Bailey on the podcast tomorrow. Excited to get talking to him. Obviously, a lot to cover. Um, But for now, it's been the Fenway Rundown. This has been the Fenway Rundown, brought to you by Mass Live.